Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Previously, Previously. on the Game On Podcast. Yeah, let's, let's not underestimate the vital part of the of mental health in terms of mixing doing things and that you know that's more important than winning or losing in the end and yeah i think that gets a little bit forgotten at all levels yeah well yeah well you know not to derail the conversation too much longer like this whole yes my condition which you know did have some mental health issues myself when i got diagnosed it did pull me through that a little bit that I yeah. still had that sporting outlet to go to that I was still reasonably good at. Um, you know, I could have quite easily given up on a few things and, you know, yeah, you, you know, your stuff, your body's going to do this and that. And, you know, the future's not bright, but, you know, the old silver cloud to, you know, silver lining to a yes. dark cloud, so to speak, quite literally now with the silver medal. But it, yeah, it, I can't. I'm the same. I can't underestimate the power of just yes. you know that mental well-being, especially when you're going through some you know, life-changing things, so to speak. Very much so. And and clubs are you know clubs, whatever your chosen sport is, are, are great for that. Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports. Local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf, baseball, tennis, cricket, and any other sports played in this wide world. And we're going to have a blast doing it. So sit back, relax, and let's do this thing. Welcome to Game On. And welcome to another episode of Game On. My name's Pete, and I'm once again joined by Malcolm. And uh, last week we had uh, Chris Flavel, uh, Para Jackaroo, give us some insights, and especially into the uh, mental well-being of some players, obviously over the COVID period. But uh, you know, being around sporting clubs is such a great thing. It's just so important the whole mixing uh, part of things. And look, that's one beef I've really got with the. The sacker charging the ten dollars to get in and the seventeen dollars to park your car. That five hundred or so pensioners have stopped going to shield games. Now that was their social outlet, social yep. interaction as well, and absolutely just poor. And look, um, fantastic last week educating us a fair bit on 
on the gradings and, and all that. It was fascinating. As someone who you know knew very little, well, let's be honest, nothing. Yes, uh, on it, I thought he, he was he was fantastic. I think Chris gave some really good yeah, insight Chris. that I that I didn't know personally either about some of those grading um, conditions that they needed to be involved with, and uh, yeah, for him to give us uh, his time not only as a Commonwealth silver medalist was fantastic, but uh, you know he's. Uh, Going to do good things in the next couple of years for sure. Chris was open and honest and yeah, educational. And I'm not saying that in a demeaning world. It was, it was important for giving everyone balance and learning. Absolutely. It was great. Around the grounds. Now today, mate, we're, we're going to change things up a little bit today. We're going to bookend the cricket. We've got a special flashback segment, but we've also got Daryl Harper coming on, obviously ICC cricket umpire. And we're going to start off with some cricket, but we're also going to have a look at Port Adelaide's best 22 and obviously the Super Bowl. But we're going to start off with the cricket first up. And first test, mate, didn't end the way that we all thought. Well, look, I thought Australia would be way more competitive than that. To get absolutely annihilated and just capitulate yep. was pathetic. Um, I mean, it all sort of stemmed from them jumping at shadows, obviously, with the pitch that was you know, clearly not quite the way it should have been prepared, but it is what it is. Both teams have got a bat on it. Yes, all right, they've got more right-handers than left-handers. But uh, did we expect it to end any differently? No, but I still say that what they did was just bizarre and unforgivable. But yeah, look, they still they well and truly won the battle of the mind games, and yep. I think that probably played a pretty significant result yep. in the end. And and the Australian selectors jumped at shadows, like leaving head out from net form, and it was just ridiculous. The whole side and picking Renshaw, how they came up with this sudden idea that he's this super brilliant player of spin bowling when it was quite incredible that he'd been told that he had to go back to opening to boost his chances yep. of playing in the test side. So he's back opening for Queensland, gets picked to bat six in Sydney, which I think we were all really surprised about and thought, oh, that means he's probably going to go as the extra batsman to uh, to India. But mm-hmm. to have him play, so and people are saying, oh, Hanscom replaced head in terms of that way. Well, no, I, I saw Hanscom replace Green yes. overall for the right-hander side of things. Rent, you, know, you can argue that's pedantics on, yes, he did play in the last test, so technically that is correct. But I just thought Renshaw was a bombshell selection. And, it, oh, look, it was, they j- jumped to shadows. Well, it was ridiculous. Was it a case of not having a plan B? I think they'd set themselves on this series. Clearly they'd set themselves on this series and they went in with an ideal team in mind and the Pitched the way it was prepared, almost through that curveball that no one was expecting. And you're right, they sort of jumped a little bit at shadows. That's what it felt like anyway. Oh, and all, as I said last week, all countries, get your head out your backside and play proper warm-up games. You know, so we don't want this so touring sides don't compete. It's, yep. it's farcical. It's And India is obviously a place. Of, you know, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, same thing with playing spin bowling. For goodness sake, play a respect the game. Absolutely, and I think the team that we should have selected, I mean, was reasonably successful here in Australia. Yes, it is against India on the subcontinent, but you've got to pick players that are in form too. You can't just take them in, take them out, because you think someone else is going to be playing better against spin on the subcontinent. Well, you had, it doesn't work. You had Stark and Green missing anyway. Yes. And then you decide to drop the best player 
in Australia the last two years. Yep. And it didn't make sense. So my next question is, you know, who, who makes makes way this test? Do they stick with the same same twelve, or are they going to make changes? It was actually ironic that this is you know, we brought this up because actually I had I was listening to Jared Healy on the way here, and he he you know, mentioned that he was on air with Hooksy, and there'd always be the debate for years. And he said, if there's anyone standing up laughing about this, mm-hmm. it's Hooksy because there are ten players at the moment debating whether they whether they play or not. Head. Renshaw, Hanscom, Stark, Green, yep. Warner, Kawaja. Yep. It's, it's just unbelievably unsettled. It's quite staggering. Well, like any team in any sport, the, the more settled you are, the oh. better chances you have of success. And if you're looking over your shoulder going, am I going to get clipped one week and playing the next? doesn't make sense. And so you take Agar, play Agar in the last test, take him with you, and now they've decided, no, he's gone from bowling in the nets again, and Kuhneman's been rushed on a plane from Brisbane, and it sounds like he may well play. How can you take forms in, in the nets oh. when the probably the pitches in the nets are actually performing like you would expect, and then you get out onto the main pitch and it's completely different? Well, he's going to go from bowling on Kuhneman bowling at the at the MCG yes. in the last week yep. to being rushed to make his test debut in India. Yeah, yet again, oh, look, yeah. It's. I'm just shaking my head in disbelief. It, once again, is it a case of that they were too sing, singly minded on one particular structure, and this has completely thrown them a curveball that they didn't expect? Well, look, I'm a fan of playing a left arm orthodox spinner on Bunsen burners, yep. wickets which are turning, turning heaps. You actually want a left arm orthodox. Yep. Jadeja showed that yet again. Yep. And all that. It is. That's always been tradition. You had O'Keefe won us a test match. It wasn't a great turner. The ball took thirteen wickets, uh, 12 wickets at Poon to win us a test match. Yep. So, yeah, I'm a fan of that. But, yeah, we've jumped at shadows again. It'll be yeah. interesting to see what the lineup is oh, in the next 24 hours yes. for that second test. Are we expecting India to play tricks with the wicket again? Oh, yeah, I would think so. You'd think so? Yeah. Yep, yeah, fair enough. And, mate, the third test uh, has been... Obviously, a change of venue. Not enough grass on the surface, apparently. Yeah, it's, again, you sort of hang on. Isn't that what you want at the moment? Yeah, I, again, you just. I've probably given up trying to work this tour out. <laughs> Maybe flip a coin and whatever yeah. it comes up with, you never know. It's a venue that Australia hasn't played at for a very, very long time. So it 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 just sort of almost smacks of that game and gamesmanship again. Yeah. Crazy. All right, mate, we'll move on from the test cricket. We'll we'll do something a little bit more locally. Uh, Sheffield Shield, the Redbacks have won back-to-back tests at Adelaide Oval for the first time since 2020. Yeah, back-to-back Shield wins, yes. It happens about as often as Adam and Eve sharing apples. Um, yeah, it is actually ironic the same sides with the last time it happened four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tasmania and WA. And, look, it was a really good game. I actually will be honest. I went to all four days. Yes. Um Fantastic, young Drew making a, a, cu- a couple of hundred. Yeah, yeah, the first two hundred for South Australia at Adelaide Oval since two thousand thirteen and fourteen by yep. Maxie Klinger. Yep. So that you know, fair bit there. He he was sensational. A young McSweeney, who's a uh, grandfather, came down from Brisbane for the game. Flew down, he made a duck in the first inning, so he was a bit flat, and he was up and about when the youngster Nathan made a made a ton in the second innings. Yep. Nathan McAndrew bowled really well. I've got to be honest, better than I thought he could bowl. Yep. And everyone contributed. Like, Ben Menenti didn't bowl well on the last day, but took an absolute blinder at first slip yep. to get a survival wicket. So it was a 
you know, and all of a sudden we're a point of second spot. I was about to say, yeah, uh, for the first time in a while, we're we're sitting in third spot. That's not a uh, position we've accustomed to, really. Huge game against Victoria starting Monday over at the G. So yeah, any changes? You wouldn't want to change too much of a winning lineup. I think the only potential change will be whether. Uh, Doggett passes a fitness test or not. And if he doesn't, I would think Spencer Johnson will play. Yep. Look, I admit I would play Kelvin Smith opening. I would have Kelvin Smith inside all year. That's a personal opinion. Yep. I'm, I think Cardinal's been ridiculously lucky and it's been carried a fair bit. Yep. Yeah. Oh, there you go. What's changed since the, the break? Well, they did win the last game before the break and the players have really gone on about that. That did give them a bit of confidence and, Surprisingly, after that break, still managed to take it into the next game, and, and it, well, WA are no slouches either. No, That's the other thing. An incredible depth. Like Wiley didn't play either game. The you know they, they certainly gave us a pants down job in the one day last night. Mm-hmm. Well, that was going to be my next. Play, um, you know, Whiteman Whiteman played the Shield game. Cartwright played the Shield game. Didn't play the one day. So uh, Josh Phillippe only played the one day. So, yeah, they have got a huge amount of depth. So, uh, once again, all-in team effort and it got the job done. And, yes, that was going to be my next point was the one day. A little bit disappointing, but not unexpected. It was disappointing. We really batted dumb. Um, yeah, it was really disappointing. The, you know, the thought from the players was that they'd really stuffed it up. They thought it was a 300 deck. Yep, absolutely. Well short. Yep, yeah. two ten didn't get the job done, unfortunately, and uh, yeah, WA went on with it. Mate, we we will stay with cricket. The women's IPL player selected, yeah, um, Ash Gardner, the big huge winner there. You know, five hundred plus thousand mm-hmm. certainly be probably the richest female cricket from Australia. So, yeah, Perry Healy, a couple of the South Australian ladies got picked up. So Megan Schutt. And uh, our cap- our captain um, McGrath McGrath getting picked yep. up, Talia McGrath getting picked up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, seventy odd thousand. It's still hey. you know, pretty reasonable. Better than a kick in the bum. Yeah. Are we seeing the emergence of women's cricket? Obviously, through the IPL in India, starting to take on a, a bit of a life of its own. I think so, and also women's cricket, as the stand has just gone from strength to strength, um, and you know, it's just mammoth uh, steps forward in the, over the last decade and. It is. It's, women's cricket is fantastic. It's a very high standard, and, very and good technically. I was, that was going to say, uh, everything that I've heard and watched a little bit on TV, that they look so technically sound. It's probably one of those sports that has taken off in the female realm, you know, because of that technique has held them in good stead, that's for sure. Yeah, and so it's, it is, and it's, as a cricket nut, I think I made the point a couple of weeks ago that I went down and watched the Scorpions play, and it was... After watching, you know, a couple of months of Big Bash, it was pleasant to be watching some technically correct cricket shots again. Yeah, absolutely. So. Mate, the 2020 World Cup is on at the moment? Yeah, it just started. So Australia um, actually lost a trial game against Ireland, but yep. yeah, started pretty strongly, very comfortable win against New Zealand first up. So Bit of a tight one against Bangladesh. Yeah. Went going down to the 19th over. Very interesting game. But. At least a win's a win. Uh, so. And they're in control, and I think uh, they won their match this morning fairly comfortably yeah. as well. So yeah. they're on track. Uh, first team to win it three years in a row, or three, three times, cons- yeah. consecutive times yeah. in a row. Um, you know, Australia, India, England, South Africa a little bit, probably the top four nations yeah. when it comes out. New Zealand maybe in that mix. 
a little bit. They probably rely on Sophie Devine. They need her to really earn baits to fire, and if they don't, they fall away a bit. Yep. But, yeah, they're, they're probably the sides to beat. And, mate, a bit more locally, the Adelaide Scorpions. Yeah, disappointing loss both games down in Tasmania. Uh, and that they play Queensland Fire tomorrow and Sunday, which will decide whether they make the final or not. So a couple of games at Karen Rolton tomorrow and Sunday to follow. Weather conditions will be a hell of a lot better yeah. than they are here today. So yes. uh, pleasant conditions for anybody who wants to get, wants to get down to uh, Karen Rolton Oval and see some very good technical cricket. Yep. All right, mate, we'll, we'll take a bit of a... Quick break here. We're going to come back. We're going to have a look at the Super Bowl. We've got to talk about that, of course. And for our Port supporters, Malcolm and myself are going to pick our best 23, yep. 4.23 tonight. And um, we're going to see how close we are on that together. And we will have a look at the Crows next week as well. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to our second round of Around the Grounds. Uh, mate, last week we talked about the Super Bowl. I just gave the Philadelphia Eagles the edge, but there was a man who stood in their way and his name was Patrick Mahomes. Go for it, mate. It's your speciality. Yeah, Eagles started favourite. We all thought Mahomes was on the injury cloud and he certainly played that way in the first half. The Eagles sort of had control of the ball and you talk about time in possession, they had it. But the first drive after the halftime break, Mahomes basically got them back into the game and they never looked back from that point onwards. And unfortunately, Sipos and, yeah, yet, a, yet another St Kilda loss in a grand final. Yeah, they've been a bit unlucky with that, haven't they? I totally Sorry, for- Saints fans. I'd totally forgotten about that yeah. point. But, yeah, the the Australians were obviously on the Philadelphia Eagles yeah. side and, yeah, the, the ground was a little bit slippery and you just wonder why the... Um, in this case, they call them cleats, but why the boots weren't studded to suit those conditions when you know what you're going to get in those conditions, that it's going to be a little bit slippery because of the dew, obviously, at that time of the night. So, interesting. Oh, no, I'll go stronger than interesting. I'd, I'll go stupid. It's why football is the same. They've got this thing about their feet sore. I'm sorry, this is a grand final. Let's let's go to every, every pot avenue. Yeah, don't, well, be, don't be cute. You would think that they'd leave no stone unturned. Yeah. Classic case of the te- the Eagles being the best best team all all year round. Uh, and don't get me wrong, the uh, Chiefs were around the mark for most of the year as well. And and it was probably the hardest opposition that the Eagles had to play in this case. And like I said, Mahomes and Reed, the coach, uh, their second title in four years, yeah. sort of puts them in sort of a little bit of rare air. Yeah, the upper echelon of. Uh, in- Puts them in the folklore of, of um, you know, Super Bowl winners. Look, no one's going to get to Brady at seven, although Mahomes does have that age on his side. Mm. He's only 25 or 26 years of age, so he does have some time. And, and Reed for his legacy, certainly does that. But uh, you'd, you'd expect the Eagles would bounce back pretty quickly, and I think these teams are going to be around the mark. Um, it was a bit of an unusual and quirky way to finish. You had a player running into the end zone, basically yeah. unmanned, um, and plonks himself on the one-yard line. Very, very smart and intelligent from that point of view. Yeah. But for people who don't know the game very much, it was a bit of a shock that the Eagles defenders weren't going anywhere near him. And he wasn't keen to add his name to a touchdown in a Super Bowl, but did the team thing of stopping on the one-yard line, which obviously took time off the clock. Off, yeah. yeah, Quirky. It's, it's one of those ones that you... 
different. Yeah, you scratch your head and go, why did he do that? And then you, you think about it a little bit and then obviously the commentators fill you in a little bit on that and, wow, lost his own folklore that he'd be telling his grandkids and kids and great-grandkids many years down the track that he scored a touchdown yeah. in a in a, in a uh, Super Bowl final that he may not get that opportunity again and yet he did the team thing and sacrificed. So very, very interesting that, yeah. that that was a quirky way to finish the game but very, very intelligent from the players knowing exactly what was going on. I'll always appreciate someone knowing the rules. <laughs> there you go, from the rule book himself and, and certainly <laughs> you can fill that one in your next one maybe. Yes. <laughs> All right, mate, we move on to the AFL. We did say we're going to have a look at Port Adelaide's best 23 for 23. Uh, shall we start on the back line, mate? Yeah, I, I found it pretty hard to pick. Uh, in terms of Port's second key backsman, backman, that's for me is probably the, the one major up-in-the-air one. I went back line of Burton, Jonas, Aaliyah. Aaliyah, Aaliyah. Yep. Uh, half-back line, Darcy Bird, Jones, Cleary and Houston. Okay, oh, I've got uh, Cleary in the yep. back pocket, uh, Aaliyah fullback, Burton in the other pocket, Darcy Byrne Jones, uh, Tom Jonas at centre half back, yeah. and Dan Houston. So I think we've got them Same there, six, yep. but but in what order? Yeah. Interesting. Um, That's only matchups nowadays, anyway. It's not uh, like the old traditional way, traditional. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you, you could play Burn Jones in that back yeah. pocket and, and, and Houston in that back pocket as well. So, yeah, a bit of flexibility. Uh, across the centre line, mate. I've gone Dersma, uh, Jason, uh, Jason Horn, Francis in the middle and Butters on the other wing. Yeah, I've uh, I've gone with Butters as well on the wing, uh, Dersma on the other wing, but I've gone Ollie Wines in the middle. Yep, just again. Um, I've, yeah, I've gone. I've actually got wine starting at half forward. Okay, again, we're, all right. We'll move on. We'll, we'll move on to that because I've yep. actually got Horn Francis yeah. on the half forward. But yeah, right. He'll be changing in and yep. out with Ollie's in Ollie in the middle. Uh, Dixon at centre half forward and Powell Pepper on the other flank. I've gone Rioli Marshall Wines again, same sort of thing, and I've gone the full forward line of Arazio Fantasia. Interestingly enough, he, he uh, plays his first game tomorrow night. The internal. Uh, first game for a year. A mm-hmm. Razzle Dazzle is back. So yep. was with him on Tuesday night. So yep. all the best to Razzle Dazzle. Uh, Dixon and I had Pal Pepper. And the, yeah, again, it's just a change. Yeah, sure. Uh, my forward line would be Giorgiardi's Marshall and Rioli. My only worry with that is that it's a little bit t- top heavy, a bit yeah. tall. Um, I hadn't actually thought of uh, Razzle Dazzle because we haven't seen him for the last year or so. Um, certainly someone that could slot slot into that forward line very, very well. Uh, Junior Rioli is going to create a bit of havoc up there, camped under the, those forwards, and Marshall's gone from strength to strength this year. I love Marshall's footy smarts, his knock-ons, just creating a path. He's very, you know, I've always rated him. The port sport has jumped all over him for a fair while, and I, I thought it was quite ridiculous the amount of criticism he used to cop. Mm-hmm. Um you know, really highly. And, yeah, George Artis, where he plays, where he starts on the pine. Again, it's showing Porter got a fair bit of depth. Absolutely. I know we're talking about some of these players that won't necessarily start in these positions because they interchange yeah. themselves out. Do you see Charlie Dixon, because of his age, sitting a little bit closer to goal? Or do you I, still see him up the field a little bit? No, I think he'll mainly play full forward. Yeah. Do you see him interchanging the ruck a little yeah, bit? Yeah, he'll still have a bit. He'll pinch hit in the ruck, but, yep. yeah. Yep, okay, fantastic. And and Marshall, a bit more closer to goal than Georgiades, or I think that'll just depend. I think yep. they'll both right Rome. Um, yeah, 
I went and so first ruck wise, I went Lysett, Voke, Rosie. I went Lysett, Voke, Rosie as well. Uh, on the bench, I went Finlayson, Jones, Georgiatis, uh, Bergman. I've gone Finlayson, uh, Bergman, Mackenzie, Willem, Drew. Yep. Uh, a player that's getting a little bit of. Um, Notice, I suppose, is Jackson Mead. Um, he's someone that I could possibly see in that. Yeah, and Porter talking up Kane Farrell playing down back to mm-hmm. use his long left leg. Uh, Sims, another one, and Riley Bonner will be around the mark as well. Son of Derek Bonner. Yep. Um, so yeah, the depth. I, I I could see them running teams off their feet. Suddenly, Horn Francis, if Fantasia's body stands up, which yep. again is always a little bit. Doubtful with uh, with Arazio, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. I I think Horn Francis gives them a com- Horn Francis, Rosie and but- um, Butters together. I just gives gives them a fair bit of dy- dynamic potential yep. to really blitz sides with pace. So I think it'll be interesting. How interesting in that way. But because of Jason Horn Francis's obviously status, you know, ex number one pick coming yep. back from North Melbourne. We we all know the story yep. uh, on that. Is it? Better for him to be roaming that half forward line and only pinch hitting every now and then in the centre versus no, let him I, go and I reckon they've got to play him in the middle. That's personally let him play to his strength. I actually think that was part of the reason why he came back. That yep. he got put on starvation half forward flank. He dominated on ball. You know, we you know, at a prelim final at SANFL level, to have Glenelg Instructed to have a glimpse around where Horn Francis was and, and kicking kick the, the, the other direction, direction yeah, is pretty huge compliment to to a ki- you know a kid, mm-hmm. and you know and that sort of he had more effect on the SNFL. We're going back to you know your Motley, Bradley, Kernahan era yes. of kids at Platten who dominated the SNFL yeah. Macintosh age, but yeah, that that was the effect he had. Obviously, uh, him being a first-year player at Port, will he have to earn his stripes a little bit? He will, but I, I just, I rate him really highly, and I look, I, I hope he proves a point. I, yes, of course, he made some stuff ups last year at North Melbourne, but North Melbourne weren't on their Pat Malone there either, and they made some ridiculous stuff ups with with him as well. So it was a contributing factor, and. And let's also remember when Horn Francis had to make his decision whether to come back, at that stage we weren't sure whether Clarkson was going to be allowed to coach or not. Yeah, very much so. Uh, you talked about Dersma, Butters, Rosie, Horn Francis. That's starting to they've built a side around their midfield, their engine room that is going to give their forwards plenty of plenty of look at it, aren't they? And pace. And George Artis, you know, if his you know, Achilles Hill last year was kicking for goal. Suddenly, if he if he if he's corrected that, Marshall and Dixon Dixon's clunking them all. It's you know that's a fair bit of potency there as well. I, you know, I I've got them as being the big improvers. I think they were way way more ability. I think their only doubt is is down back. Travis Boke is an interesting one. You still see him on the ball. I know we've both put him you know on that in that role. Well, they tried. They decided they were going to put him to half forward about four three or four years ago. That didn't work, and he's back on the ball, and he's dominated ever since again. So certainly leaves no stun unturned no. unturn when it comes to his fitness and making sure he's cherry ripe to go. His preparation and all that second to none. Yeah, so I, 
I can't see at the moment until if there's any signs. And, and it is ruthless. Like we saw that with Tyson Edwards. And just suddenly, bang, it's gone. So, but at this stage, the mind, he stays there. Internal trials for the Port Adelaide team tomorrow night down yeah. at Alberton. Um, should be interesting to see how that all lines up. Is there any juniors or any players that might jump out? I mean, I mentioned Jackson Mead is probably one. Jace Burgoyne is another. Um, can we see those guys jumping out and and I forcing think, their way in? I think Sim's another one. And I, I think Lockie Jones is, is probably one who hasn't really shown everything. Like, showed a lot at the Eagle, Eagles before getting drafted. And he's had a few injuries and all that. Probably has... You know, so he's an iffy selection at the moment. Mm-hmm. So he's probably another one. I think, yeah. Where, where does that leave someone like Trent Germont? Pro- probably depending on injuries, basically. The Trent, I think Trent needs Port to get some injuries to play. Right, gotcha. Yeah, so I, I think that's a little bit doubtful. So, okay. But he'll, he'll still be around the mark and gives them plenty of depth. He'll get a chance at some stage during the year. Any uh, draft picks that might? Again, Jump just, up <laughs> again. It's probably something I should have asked Nathan on Tuesday on Bass on Tuesday night. Um, we're actually talking more about cricket, so I think another one probably no more after Friday night. Yep, so oh, we'll keep goes. keep an eye on it for sure. Uh, Alir Alir being healthy is obviously vital to their to their back six, and and they probably got exposed a little bit with that last year. If he gets injured early this year. Um, you know, we've already talked about them being a little vulnerable down back. Does that make them even more so? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Leah, Cleary, and Jonas is probably. A, I mean, Trent McKenzie played that role a bit. That's that's probably the area where they're where they are a bit iffy, and that like they tried to get um, Rat- Radagalia from yep. Geelong. Yep. So in that way, so yeah, it, it's it is a question mark down there. Absolutely, and Connor Rosie, he's going to be put in the shadow a little bit because of Jason Horn Francis, but I think his midfield time is obviously going to go up this year, oh, but I think it's going to go to a whole new level as well. He's pretty special. Uh, local boy as well, which certainly helps. And Dersma, are we going to see the um, arrow, bow and arrow come out a bit more this year? He tempered it a bit last year. Yeah, I, I sort of don't mind a bit of individuality, yep. but I reckon he probably goes a little bit far at times as well, so... Yeah, I'll leave it there. And my last question will be Tom Jonas, mate. Uh, obviously, Nord boy, uh, captain of the club. Um, we've had seven captain changes. No, eight captain changes this year as of tonight. There might be one or two more, don't know. But uh, at the moment, obviously, captaining the club. And he's certainly stamped his authority on Port Adelaide. Yes, yeah. No, he's been, as much as I say, uh, it's... Still like to see a bit more red and blue. I think he's got to remember where he's come from a little bit. I think he'll be back at, the, at Nord at some stage, but uh, hopefully. we'll see how we go. But uh, certainly captaining Port Adelaide at the moment very, very well, and he'd be very excited with the depth of the list at the moment as well. His dad, Johnny, might have bought him a certain book reminding uh, <laughs> reminding of his Nord roots for Christmas. So, yes. All right, mate. Well, we'll leave Port Adelaide where it is, and we'll see how that plays out before round one. Um, obviously, tonight we wanted to talk a little bit more about the cricket Obviously, the cricket season's winding up a little bit here in Australia to a certain degree, and footy season's really ramping up, and we thought we'd have a look at Port Adelaide uh, this week, and we'll have a look at the Crows next week. Yep, why not? All right, mate, when we come back after the break, we've got Daryl Harper, um, past player, past legend, past umpire, that uh, is going to give us some insights into his um, umpiring all over the world and, and obviously part of the ICC. Good man, Harps. 
You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Has there ever been anything that has lightened up your day? Whether it was someone who complimented you or maybe you got a promotion at work, these all make you feel happiness. But if you're looking for more, more to lighten up your day, then you should book our mobile coffee service. We are always dedicated to one thing, service. We appeal to all sorts of people, from commuters on their way to work or our regular workplace coffee stops. And best of all, we visit you. Whether it's our top quality and aromatic coffee or our mouth-watering selection of cakes and food, there will always be something for you to enjoy. Servicing Adelaide's metro area. Why not book in a stop today? Find us on Facebook and send us a message. Tour Coffee and Catering. We deliver your daily caffeine fix. Past players. Past legends. Past legends. Welcome to our Past Players and Past Legends series, and tonight we've actually got a past umpire, Daryl Harper. Welcome Good aboard, evening. Harps. Now the nice to join you. The casual uh, 90, 94 test matches, Daryl, from 1998 to 2011. Of course, you were on the international panel, uh, so you were on the member of the elite panel of umpires from 2002 to 2011. We'll come back to the finish of that at some stage, Harps. So, now welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you. I don't want to be pedantic, but it was 95 tests, but there you go. That's only a number. Blame blame Wikipedia for that one. Thanks, Harps. <laughs> don't worry. I, I will uh, we'll thank Grant Wosley in advance for some of these questions too, Was You would be worried oh. if I hadn't done that. So, yes. Yes, I, that's true. Okay, uh, Daryl, we'll go back to the uh, you know, growing up in Paynham uh, and that and, – so where did your uh, own career start as well, playing-wise, well, playing uh, footy, cricket, the whole box and dice? Well, it all started at a school called Wellington Roads Primary School, which is, doesn't exist anymore. Well, it's had its name changed a couple of times. It's now Trinity Gardens Primary School. Yep. And uh, com- coming up in this year, 2023, uh, coming up shortly, we've got a, a reunion of those people that graduated in 1963. So was will be there. Grant Wesley will be there. It's 60 years since we completed Year 7, so that gives you a rough idea how old we are. Um, yeah, so that's, that's where we, we, we started playing footy and cricket, uh, in the street, after school, uh, in the area. Um, that's uh, that's how we kicked off. Paynham Cricket Club used to run a schoolboys competition in the mornings at the at the Oval on, uh, it's now called Portrush Road, Wellington Road in those yep. days. And uh, people like... Uh, uh, Keith Duke was still about the scene at that stage, and um, Keith, I think it was was it Keith Plummer. Um, yes, he's going back a long while now. Yeah. but th- those guys, those guys got us started. Grant Wasley, myself, and another guy by the name of Lyndon Hurst. We were a bit of a terrible trio. We uh, we played our cricket together uh, at school, after school, and whenever we could. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's re- how we kicked it off. Be remiss there not to give Keith Duke appropriate recognition, uh, Pete. Uh, Keith was an Australian record of 62 year, consecutive years as Secretary at Paynham, which is why Paynham Cricket Club are called the Dukes. Very smart man thought of that name too, by the way, Harps, yes. Oh, did you? Uh, right. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, great guy. Then at, then at Nord High, then at Nord High, Harps? 
Yes, uh, we Grant Wasley and I certainly went to, straight up to Norwood High after primary school and we played our cricket for Norwood High. I can't actually remember too many coaches apart from one. One would have been Johnny Wildey, who was a West Torrens cricketer, and he was our maths teacher, I think, in matric. Uh, and at the same time, we we tried out for the Kensington Schoolboys, the January Schoolboys Carnival, and discovered we lived in the East Torrens zone. So we very quickly uh, rerouted our, our methods and went down to Norwood Oval, and we we all joined uh, East Torrens as a district cricket club in about uh, or in our second or third year at high school, and uh, and 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 onward after that. I admit I was going to ask, I was going to lead to that because I wasn't sure if Pete knew that East Torrens used to that Nord Oval used to be East Torrens' yes, home ground. Absolutely, so yes, yes, playing at the home of football would have, would have been a buzz, Harps. Oh, a huge buzz! Not only the home of football, uh, the mighty Redlegs, but also the home of uh, night baseball. Very, so yes. I was, I was. I was there so many times uh, each year for uh, certainly every Wednesday night for the baseball and then eventually for the cricket. We, we practiced on there and played on there a few times and also, of course, to watch uh, you know the greatest SA and FL club of the um, the last 150 years. Correct. Um, <laughs> no bias at all there. No, not at all. No, not us. at all. No. Um, what was your baseball involvement, Harps? Uh, I played two years at Nord High School. And uh, I was coached by a fellow by the name of Dick Shirt in one of those years. Dick Shirt was a left-arm pitcher from Sydney, quite a, a wild man, a bit of a wild man, but uh, played for Australia. Um, I just, oh, oh, I always loved the baseball, especially after we were introduced to the game at Wellington Road Primary School by a group of Mormons. Mormon missionaries <laughs> came to school and wanted to teach us this new sport and we went out to practice a few times but we sort of shied away when they wanted to come into our homes and speak to our parents about uh, religion so we lost a little bit of interest but we certainly went to Nord over all the time we just just loved the baseball and yeah it's a it's a game that's always fascinated me and I still follow it extremely closely today I was recently down at uh, West Beach when South Australia or the the Giants managed to win their two games in the final series to bring home the Claxton Shield. First time in 43 years. I will say in terms of the Mormons, I will give my brother-in-law, Edward, uh, recognition. He did let them in one day and then locked them in and said they'd listen to him. And uh, you should see they actually avoid uh, the place. They cross the road. They go nowhere near the place. It's, it was brilliant. He got rid of them for life. So you reckon that's the key, you reckon? Well, it was superb. Yeah. I might have to remember that. Yes. So, yeah, so then um, starting off at East Tyre, did you start at Paynham or East Torrance, basically? Then? No, I only played with Paynham on the Saturday morning right, stuff, but yeah. I, I started off in the East Torrance, the fourth team, and uh, I was a, I was a very good, I was an extremely good C grader and, a, and quite a good B grader and a very, very ordinary A grader who went into the, the A grade side to take someone's place when someone was promoted to the Sheffield Shield team. So, um, yeah, um, I wasn't the greatest of cricketers, but I was certainly an extremely keen one, and I always made sure I... I knew all the laws and rules of any games that I played. We might so, have that uh, in common, Daryl. I think. Yes, yes. I, I have ended up, you know, over the years, umpiring Australian rules football, basketball, cricket, and and baseball as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I left no stone unturned to find something I could do reasonably well. Because you got injured with football, didn't you? Playing, I did. Playing I, I strained an Achilles uh, running around, uh, trying to push myself up the front of the pack in training one year, and. Uh, I had to drop out of the footy and I uh, reverted or switched across to cricket umpiring, which is something that I'd already dabbled with as a student teacher. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. Um, umpired for the next uh, 28 years. Who did you play footy footy for? 
I played footy for Wattle Park Teachers College in Amateur League. We played in A3. Um, and then I went to the country teaching and I played for Port McDonnell in the Mid-South East League oh. and uh, came back to the town and uh, just played a couple of casual games for the Murray Park CAE. And then I switched to uh, to footy umpiring. I had a back neighbour who was umpiring seconds footy and it sounded good. And I absolutely loved it. I loved the travel to places like Pirie and Augusta and uh, Lincoln and over to Kangaroo Island and even the little places like Snowtown and Blythe and Clare and all that sort of run. Um, yeah, it was, it was a great uh, – it made Saturdays really interesting to uh, cover a couple of hundred Ks and umpire a game of footy. And of course, you played at both Teachers College and University with cricket, didn't you, Harps? No, I didn't play at uni because I, I never actually went to uni. I, in those days, you had to be a uni student okay, to play for them. Really I, I only went to Wattle Park Teachers College where I got my uh, teaching diploma and advanced teaching yep. diploma. So, yeah, I never made it to uni. Um, I just didn't didn't make no, it. Red wrong. Now, there was one thing. Apparently, you were one of the very, very first people to use a helmet. I was, actually. That's a, that's a good uh, story yeah, to tell. Is, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Better get yes, one right. I got cleaned up at Price Memorial one day um, by Jeff Kowalik, actually. Oh, um, yep, I, yep. Had, I had the temerity to try and uh, hook, and this was in a B-grade game for East Torrens, and I hooked quite successfully. And uh, I'd actually made 99 in the first innings. I got caught off the glove of a leg spinner, um, and uh, the umpire was sharp enough to pick up the touch, which I was pretty disappointed about because there was no way I was walking. I wasn't a walker. No, I um, did have that in front of me, 99 at Hawthorne, so there you are. Yeah, and in the second innings, um, yes, I got to 56 and I was cleaned up and carried off unconscious and woke up in the change rooms. And uh, I was I was most most disturbed when I came back four or five hours later, having had my mouth stitched up inside and out, to discover that I was actually given out hit wicket. I would have thought at the time that uh, once I got cleaned up, it would have been a dead ball and uh, it would have been retired hurt, but... No, the bowler got the credit for that. I was disappointed. Yeah, McCosker, centenary test. Yeah, could argue yeah. on that one. That's probably <laughs> probably a little ambiguous the way that rule's written. Yeah, well, some, some, some laws, you, you can yes. read them a couple of different ways, and I would always read them the way I wanted to. <laughs> okay, so then um, moving on, and obviously, so moving up the ranks with umpiring and the influences with umpiring with Mel McGuinness and, and others. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, as a as a youngster, Mel McGuinness had married one of my mother's cousins, a very close cousin who actually lived with my mother for a period of time. And uh, yeah, Mel McGuinness was umpiring his test matches in the in the fifties, and uh, I always uh, headed over to his corner when we had a family function, a twenty first or Christmas or or some sort of wedding celebration. I'd, I'd always be keen on listening to his stories, and I always had it in the back of my mind I wouldn't mind trying a bit of cricket umpiring, and. Uh, Yes, away I went. Uh, so I umpired a little bit of cricket in the country where the umpires aren't provided. Loved yep. doing it. Uh, played a couple of seasons for the Coromandel Ramblers in Adelaide and Suburban. Once again, umpiring uh, whenever I wasn't batting. And uh, I thought to myself at the age of 31, this is something I really, I'm quite enjoying, so I'll take it on properly. So uh, I went out and uh, discovered that I was probably 10 or 15 years younger than anyone else in the room. And uh, I did hesitate, wondering what I was putting myself into, but I later realised that uh, it was actually an advantage only being 31 because, uh, well, a lot, of the, a lot of the umpires actually remembered me from my playing days. I played at East Torrens yep. two years earlier than that. So there were a lot of familiar faces, and I was lucky enough to be nurtured through the grades fairly quickly and into the first-class ranks, and, uh, and then I was away for, um, 
doing doing the Shield games for uh, quite a number of years. So, so, yeah, so I, was, I was very fortunate. So it's safe to say uh, umpiring was always on the horizon, but really didn't take it seriously until uh, until you got in, got into it in a big way. Yes, well, it would also be honest of me to admit that I was one of those people that always made the umpires earn their money, whether it was when I was playing basketball, cricket or football. Um, I always had plenty to say. I always had a good knowledge of the laws. And I always... I, sound I like me known, a bit again, I, huh? I, I was known to be a bit too talkative, so people were a little bit surprised when I took it on and uh, knowing my history of being a loudmouth, but uh, I managed to turn it to advantage and, and control myself. And, and no, knowing how much I'd given uh, umpires a hard time, I guess in a way I was prepared to accept a little bit because I'd handed it out. I had to be thick-skinned enough to accept it. So um, I, I always felt, felt that my... Uh, my ability to sort of build relationships with people on the field or off the field was always going to be an advantage. And, and being a, a primary teacher, you know, you've got to, you're always dealing with parents. Um, some uh, um, you know, visiting nights, uh, just uh, interview times uh, yeah. regarding children's welfare. There's always, you know, a relationship to develop, and and something I seem to enjoy doing, and, and did it reasonably successfully. So. Uh, that that's a that's a major asset that I think if you if you're going to officiate in a game you've got you've got to be able to deal with people and deal with them in a fair and an even way. When you uh, obviously got into um, umpiring on a um, a bit more of a serious uh, basis, did you see yourself umpiring at the top level someday? No, heavens no, no. I I uh, I certainly did not. I I was I guess I was umpiring A grade in my second season. And then I started to get a couple of games. I did an Australia versus India under-19 test match at the University Oval. Uh, when I say test match, I've, I've actually it was probably a one-day match. And that was probably in my second season. And I thought, gee, uh, this is interesting. There were a couple of... What couple year of was that, Daryl? Uh, I'm thinking it was probably about 84, 85. Around about that era. Yep. Um, and there were members of the touring party with the Indians, a couple of the coaches whose whose names were, were, were memorable to me. They'd, they'd had careers in the first class or the test or the one-day arena. Oh, we, 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 there wasn't much one-day arena at that yeah. stage. It was just developing, but they were names that I recognised. And, uh, yeah, I suppose I got a bit of a taste for it, and I thought, hmm, this could, this could develop into something good. So uh, when I got the opportunity, I certainly grasped it with two hands. And made your first class to boo in 1987? Yep, that's right. I started off with a game between South Australia and New Zealand. And uh, if I'd taken the advice of several of the New Zealand players, that would have been my final <laughs> game of umpiring. Let, but, let me, let uh, me guess, ignored... uh, go forth and multiply? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ian, Ian Smith behind the stumps, he, he thought I should try uh, tennis umpiring because he, he'd seen Memorial Drive over the back. And uh, yes, I think Martin Crowe uh, was probably a little bit harsh when he offered me the cricket ball. He actually said to me, uh, you better keep this, son. You'll never get another game out here. And uh, <laughs> I misunderstood it. I, I was thinking that he was being negative, but I think he was meaning that I was destined for higher things. <laughs> that's how I, that's how I interpreted it. <laughs> uh, good man, the late great Martin Crow. So, uh, <laughs> then you made your test debut in uh, 1988 with umpire with Venkat. Yes, that was exciting. I went to Perth three times that month. It was November uh November 90, was it 98, Mark? Um, yep, yep. Yeah, 98, 98. Uh, I, I went there three times, um, first to do a, a sh- no, uh, 
West Australia versus England game, one of the tour games. Um, then I went, came home. I went back and I went. I did a shield game between West Australia and Victoria. And then I came home and I went back and I did a third game at the Wacker in the same month. And that was my first test. So that that was pretty good preparation. I, I felt pretty comfortable about how the ball was going to bounce and move around. And it was all yeah. over in two and a half days. Um, Australia cleaned them up. Dizzy Gillespie took wickets. Uh, Damien Fleming took wickets. Yes, that's and, right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, two-and-a-half-day test. I thought, gee, this is all right. Sheffield Shield games go for four days. And here I am, two-and-a-half days, and the test's over. Especially at Adelaide oh, Oval. They always went for four days then. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. So, yeah, that was that was an interesting start with Venkat, who uh, turned out to be, you know, probably one of my less favourable partners. Venkat wasn't very good at offering signals to his colleagues on the field, and... In Australia, we've always had a system of working as a team, yep. and uh, I discovered at the very highest level that that didn't always apply. Um, in some players from certain nationalities, just worried about their own end, and they weren't interested in giving assistance, only in getting assistance. And unfortunately, Venkat was one of those people. So there would have been, uh, however, been communication difficulties with some just um, language. Was there any? No, I can't. I can't say there were. No, no, no communication wanted, difficulties. Yeah. All, all the lads um, speak pretty good English. I mean, Aleem Dar is still going around years and years on. Uh, he's one of the more difficult ones to understand, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, so I thought. But yep. um, no, he, he makes himself uh, clearly understood. No drama. And then the elite panel came along. Yes. the um, Well, first of all, the national grid panel was there. That's, yeah. that's initially what I was added to. There was a panel of about 20, 24 umpires two from every test-playing country and four from England. And I took uh, I took the place of Steve Randall, who unfortunately uh, ended up yes. being incarcerated for some yes. time. So yes. I was nominated to take his place. And uh, that was an interesting nomination because there were seven or eight other Australian umpires who had umpired test cricket. And I hadn't umpired a single test when I was appointed to that panel. And that kind of guaranteed me a couple of years of test cricket um, which I had not experienced until that moment. So, um, yeah, I think I umpired five or six games in the next, uh, like, 12, 18 months. Um, and then in 2000, that was uh, 1998, 99. And then 2002, uh, April the 1st, we started with the ICC Elite Panel. And I was lucky enough to be the only Australian on the panel to, when it certainly commenced in that year. And you're one of the uh, first umpires of the trial of the player referral system as well. Uh, oh, look, yes. Are you talking about the DRS? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no. Can I just clarify? It doesn't really stand for the Daryl Review System. Someone someone put that rumour out. It actually is the Decision Review System okay. and not the Daryl Review System. <laughs> However, uh, yes, yes, I, I, I was bitten by that. Uh, it, was, it was poorly planned when it was first used. It was extremely poorly planned in... For example, in a series in South Africa with England playing there, because the third umpire was only, oh, sorry, in, in the Caribbean uh, earlier, rather, I should say, the third umpire was only able to view the ball until it made contact with the batsman's pad or his body. And you had to decide whether the, the umpire's decision was correct, not knowing or not seeing the projected path of the ball. So you'd, uh, you'd give the on field umpire your best opinion. Uh, he'd make his final decision and the rest of the world would then watch 10 seconds later while the projected path of the ball was shown and it didn't always match what, what, what we'd anticipated it would happen. 
So, yeah, that was that was fraught with danger the first few years of the DRS, but it's turned out to be a pretty reasonable system. Well, you almost got stitched up effectively by, you know, in some regards, when England lodged a complaint, when they had, as you said, they had better vision than what you did. It's quite yes, ridiculous, uh, really. Yes, yes, I was watching. I was watching and listening to the to the vision and sound provided by the local broadcaster, the South African Broadcasting Corporation, and the England boys in the change rooms on the other side of the wall next to me were taking the international feed, and it all it it basically revolved around Graham Smith edging a ball from Ryan's side bottom, and uh, umpire Tony Hill from New Zealand giving him not out, and when I saw and listened to the replay. I had to confirm his decision is correct because there was no vision of the ball changing its 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 direction or the scene changing, and there was no sound. However, in the rooms next to me on the international feed, yes, they had a, they had a sound. They didn't have vision, of course, because it didn't exist, but they had a quite a clear click. And he should have been given out. Graham Smith went on. He was 15 runs at the time, and he made 100. And I think that enabled uh, South Africa to at least draw the series and not certainly not lose it. So it was quite controversial. There was an an eight an eight month inquiry. Yeah, that's um, I think it was called the Lockie Lloyd inquiry. Lockie was a, a, a some sort of a, a legal eagle from Scotland, uh, tied up with the ICC. And Clive Lloyd, of course, uh, was uh, the eminent uh, former player and, and then referee. And after eight months, they confirmed that all the decisions I made in that game were in accordance with the regulations and the, the protocols, and I did not, absolutely nothing wrong. And, um, yeah, that was the end of that. So I was I was cleared eventually, but it took a long time. Were you ever asked for any feedback on how you could have made the system a little bit better? Oh, I had plenty of advice. Uh, I usually gave that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> whether, yes. Whether they listened or not is another thing. Yes, well, at that stage, the third umpire was watching on a screen provided by the home board and that could have been the same one that you had in your, your back room at home, whereas the players had larger, more high-definition quality viewing um, and, and sound. They had, they had the best sound and the best viewing, and, and we, were, we were using makeshift equipment, and the same thing was happening here in Australia. It was a long time before the quality of the equipment matched the quality of the cricket. So we go through some of the umpiring highlights then, Harps. We... Umpiring highlights? Yeah. Um, well, here's a strange one. Um, I was the first umpire in the world to umpire test matches at 50 different venues. Wow. Uh, so, for, yeah. so for a start, you need to umpire yep. 50 tests, and there are not a lot of people that have done that. Yep. Uh, Aleem Dar has since gone past me because uh, he's still out there on the park. Uh, I think he might even be in uh, New Zealand doing the current test. Um uh, highlights, or I did a World Cup semi-final in uh, South Africa in 2003. I umpired the final of the 2009 T20 World Cup at Lords uh, with Simon Taufel and Steve Davis as our third umpire. And the only reason we could do that was because Australia didn't make the make final. The final, yeah, yeah. So that that was a highlight, umpiring with the Aussies and uh, yeah, being being there for the final. It's always a thrill to umpire at Lords. Uh, lucky enough to do three tests there as well. Um, look, to be honest, um, there were lots of highlights. Uh, a lot of them were just simply conversations. There were moments, not so much the decisions. Of course, there were decisions that raised a little bit of interest uh, from time to time around the world. Certain things happened and, um, you know, people interpreted in the way they wanted to. For example, the 1999 
only Adelaide test I ever did was... Uh, I, I was thinking, I reckon you might bring this up, yep. Yeah, well, everyone else does. If, yep. if I get in 10 taxis, Malcolm, uh, eight of them will be driven by Sikhs. Yeah, uh, I still reckon those, it was out. Yeah, so do I. And out of those eight Sikhs, uh, four of them will turn around and say, uh, you're Harper, I know you, you gave out Tendulka. <laughs> and, and we'll talk cricket all the way, either to home or to the, the airport, wherever I'm heading. And uh, a couple of them will finish the journey with a selfie with me. So the interesting thing about India, and I I'm freely admit this, I have never, ever been abused by an Indian person. Sure, the uh, the journos might have written some uh, some harsh comments about me from time to time, but I've never actually been confronted and spoken to in a rude manner by any Indian on this planet. They are an incredibly respectful nation. Uh, they love their cricket. We think we're fanatical. We're not. Nothing, no, nothing com- like compares to India. And, and they are so knowledgeable. They are extremely knowledgeable. And they have an opinion, and they love to uh, they love to talk cricket. Honestly. You don't receive so, uh, Christmas cards from uh, Donny, though, do you? No, but he doesn't get any from me either. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he was just a, 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 a tough competitor, uh, Malcolm. He he played it hard, and I did my job hard, if you like. Uh, you're probably referring to the fact that uh, he was captain, and when I umpired my final test, it was my ninety fifth. Mm. Not 94th, by the way. Um, and uh, he did have a few harsh words about me, but um, I did become only the... Uh, well, I, I, I did uh, ban one of the bowlers, Praveen Kumar, I think it was, from bowling after running into the protected area. And it just happened that only Kumar and Ashish Nehra uh, were the only two Indian bowlers that I was ever able to discover had been banned by an umpire because they ran into the protected area and it just happened to be the same umpire on both occasions, um, about about eleven years apart. Um, look, I, I don't know. Um, I, I I played it hard. He played it hard. And uh, hey, ninety five was a good number. I thought you know number ninety six would have been good. Would have rung a bell with the TV show I used to watch. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but I, in the end, I chose not to umpire the final test in that series. And instead, I was in Philadelphia watching the Boston Red Sox play the Phillies. Hey, and, hey, uh, hey you're right yeah. up my alley yeah, there. No, I can tell you right now. Don't worry. I was going to bring that up with Pete there. Pete's the, but your your career did have a bit of a bizarre ending, Harps. Let's let's uh, give out oh, as really? much as you want, as you want to in that regard. What you mean, Harper's bizarre? <laughs> Go for it, Harps. Oh, well, well um, Malcolm, the interesting story was that in May of 2011, I read I read in an article supplied by the ICC media department, I read that I'd been sacked from the elite panel. And um, I thought it was a strange way to find out. It was an article in the Sunday Times of Sri Lanka uh, coming out of Colombo. Anyway, uh, five or six hours after I read that article... Uh, David Richardson, who was the chief at the uh, ICC based in Dubai at the time, rang me and started off with a little bit of small talk. And then I quickly uh, told him that I'd already read the article and what was the story. And he he apologised that I'd found out that I'd been sacked in that regard. But he he assured me that they were looking to add some new blood to the panel. And I was, uh, well, I I was the last of the original eight, actually. So the other seven are all gone. And I was the last survivor, and uh, they decided to replace me with a younger guy. But uh, 
it was a strange way to find out you'd been given the sack. And then it was strange that they still wanted me to umpire two tests that they'd appointed me to in the Caribbean. But uh, there was no way I was going to miss out on those once they said, no, no, we want you to fulfil that part of your contract because I already had plans to watch the Red Sox in Tampa Bay and the Red Sox in Philadelphia. And I didn't want to muck up those plans just for a game of cricket. <laughs> so, I like the way you think, mate. So I went ahead with the cricket and I enjoyed the baseball. Now, it would be remiss if uh, you didn't give your better half a plug two harps. The um, which one? Are you mean uh, my my colleague at the other end of the or out at square leg? We'd uh, be talking about my wife. I thought you better give your wife a mention, Daryl. She would. Uh, well, she'd, she'd have a crack at me if we didn't. She what? She'd have a crack at me justifiably if we didn't. Oh well, yes. Well, she, she often has a crack at you anyway. Yeah, um, true. <laughs> no, uh, we just had our 50th wedding anniversary, actually, uh, Malcolm, last month. Congratulations. So, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks. Something's working. Um, you know, for 15 of those years, I was I was probably out of Australia for eight months a year. So uh, it was a strange connection, a strange relationship, but uh, I did make sure that Maureen travelled with me somewhere every year whenever I went away, and uh, I encouraged her to resign from her teaching role a year early. And she travelled a lot more with me in my final year, or what turned out to be my final year. Um, I was I was thinking I might have gone a little bit longer. I was always aiming to try and make the century, but anyone that saw me bat knew that I didn't make hundreds very often. So uh, <laughs> no reason why I should with 100 tests. Now, we better – I'm glad you've mentioned that ton because I, I can assure you that Woz would quite rightly have a crack if we didn't mention – you did get 100 down the down Mount Gambier, 104 at Mount Gambier, and uh, oh. and also yeah. your best bowling figures. It's something else we have in common, Harps, 8 for 48. Yes, well, I got that against a team called Yule, Y-A-H-L, which is where Sleepy came from. Yes, uh, yes. There were no, no sleeps in the team at that stage. Um, yes, and uh, I, I did enjoy my country cricket because I ended up, you know, basically being the captain and the coach, and and I was the number one umpire. If I wasn't batting, I was out there in the middle umpiring. I'd much rather do that than sit and score. Or uh, some, I realised that the guys I was pl- I was playing with were either foot were either fishermen or farmers. The same in my football team. So. Most of them had got up early to do their day's work before they got to the footy and the cricket. Um, and me being a school teacher, all I'd done was probably slept in and, you know, had a late breakfast. And uh, these these guys, they loved their sport. It was a great outlet for them and they loved to chat. And uh, I've always enjoyed a chat. So I think I fitted in pretty well uh, down in the southeast for three years. And, of course, uh, Port Mac uh, also is the home of Froggy Murdoch. So. Yes, yes. And uh, I, can't, I think a couple of the Murdoch boys might be playing in a – uh, a fundraising game tomorrow night at McDonald Park in Mount Gambier. Right. Um, that being the like around about the 16th or 17th of uh, February. Um, yeah, there's a fundraising game going on, and there's a couple of Murdochs, and I believe um, there are a few uh, a- AFL players uh, playing. Uh, a former Collingwood uh, uh, AFL player by the name of uh, Davis, Leon Davis, is there. Yep. And also one that's covered in uh, tattoos is also fronting up for a game of uh, footy. Dane Swan. Dane Swan. And I I believe he's also fronting up for Nang Wari's first game in another month. I'm not sure how they've signed him on, but, uh, yeah, it's a a thriving sporting area. They love their sport. And uh, this fundraising football game is actually for a sad cause. It's uh, regarding um, headspace of 
especially young men down there. They've unfortunately lost a few in the yeah. last year or two. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're trying to make something positive happen to, with this footy match Great. tomorrow. So I'm getting down to support it. Good to hear. Mate, I have to ask, uh, just going back to your, your umpiring and obviously all the grounds you umpired at, was there a favourite ground that you, you enjoyed umpiring at, uh, not only from the ambience but of also hospitality and and, uh, and yeah, the players? I mean, I, I always I, – I was once I started, I really wanted to umpire a test on Adelaide Oval and I, I got that in when that India test, that's the only yeah. one I did. I did I did seven in Australia and then – then I couldn't umpire in Australia anymore. So I did 88 overseas, but seven of those I did at Gaul. Uh, the southern tip of Sri Lanka um, is a beautiful fortress on the headland. Um, and I wrote on the, right down on the, on the southern tip of, of Sri Lanka. It's a, it's a beautiful location. And the sea, the sea is visible uh, around the, the fortress. And, um, uh, it's a, it's a pretty little ground. I, I remember my, my first test was there in the year 2000. I umpired with Peter Manuel, a local umpire. And honestly, I came off and I was absolutely exhausted. Uh, the amount of spin that Murley and his cohorts were getting was just phenomenal. I remember saying to, to Peter, this, this is not the game that I've been umpiring in Australia. This is like a different sport. In the first session of play, there'd be four batsmen, four fieldsmen gathered around the batter and uh, they would all be within spinning distance and the ball would be turning at right angles, clouds of dust coming up every time the ball pitched, appeals every third delivery it seemed. Yeah. It was it was a really hard workout. But I, I umpired there before and after the tsunami. I was going to ask that, yep. Mm. yep. And I believe, I believe 160,000 people perished in that area yeah. uh, or, or very nearby and... Uh, it was devastated. The the fortress uh, only had one entry, and that was on the land side, the inland side. And anyone inside the fortress was actually quite safe. The tsunami swept by on two sides and just completely swamped the cricket ground, possibly to you know ten or twenty or fifteen feet. Um, it was it was a massive uh, uh, wash. There was an English schoolboy cricket team about to play. I think it was nine twenty-five in the morning, and they were just about to go out on the field when. The alarm went up and they all scrambled into the grandstand and got as high as they could. And I believe one of the English lads had a father who was still sitting on the team bus and that bus was just swept away. And uh, I'm not sure where it was discovered in in time later on, but 160,000 people perished. But those people were just so resilient. They loved their cricket down there too, just like they they do in India. And uh, they're very respectful. They... um, they're always very colourful. There's chanting, there's singing, there's drums, there's music going on all the time. And it's just an exciting place to be, um, especially if the, the Barmy Army happened to be in town with the English boys and then you actually get to hear your name come up a few times in the <laughs> Barmy Army song. <laughs> but so so Gaul is my, is my special place, seven test matches. Um, I did enjoy it. The groundsman there came to me the first day with a bottle of Jacobs Creek Chardonnay. He knew I liked a white wine. And I umpired seven test matches. Every single day of every single test, he would arrive after stumps with a bottle out of his fridge of Jacobs Creek Chardonnay. Um, so they looked after me pretty well. And uh, and I, I really am still very, very fond of that place and those people. I've got lots of wonderful friends there. No, fair enough, and, too. And a, lo- and a local wine, too. Yeah. He did his research. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I was there. I was there when Murley played his last test. Murley decided with seven hundred and I think seven hundred and ninety-two wickets, he was going to play one test against India in the three-test series. He was he was looking to get the eight wickets to take him up to uh, the eight hundred. In the first innings, I think he took five, and he was looking for three in the second innings. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, good, uh, Rod Tucker will be able to look after him this innings. I had him for most of the first innings. And after two overs, I was most disappointed to see Murley come off. And he switched ends and came down to my end. And uh, he did eventually snare the, the last three wickets he needed. And uh, fortunately, the last one was caught in slip by Joe Wadner. It was Ojar, the tailender for India. And the, he had the 800 wickets and the test was over. It was basically the test was over. Sri Lanka needed 75 runs to win in the fourth innings. And Murley uh, retired with 800 scalps. And I realised, uh, looking back, I'd umpired him in 21 test matches and I'd seen him take 120 of his 800 wickets. So, and just think, uh, if, um, interesting career. if umpires had been supported more and the rules hadn't been changed, you wouldn't have umpired him at all, Harps, effectively. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I, I umpired him in Adelaide in my second ODI, in 1995, and I reckon it was the West Indies versus uh, Sri Lanka, and 11 days later was the Boxing Day uh, situation where Daryl Hare did call him for throwing. And I honestly can't actually remember whether he bowled at my end or I was at square leg in that ODI, but um, I do have a very positive recollection from that match. I'd waited nearly two years between my first ODI and my second. And here I was fronting up on Adelaide over West Indies versus Sri Lanka. And there was a run out and I looked across at the non-striker and the non-striker was a great big tall guy by the name of Roger Harper. And Roger comes from Guyana, um, uh, off-spin bowler, great fieldsman and middle-order batsman. I'd never met Roger, but he was standing there after a run out and uh, I attracted his attention. I said, excuse me, Roger, but there's two Harpers up on the scoreboard. That's pretty unusual. And he glanced up at the beautiful Adelaide Oval scoreboard and worked out what I was talking about and looked back and just nodded. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, well, didn't get much of a reaction, but at least I got a reaction. <laughs> so I I said, uh, do you think we might be related? <laughs> and, and Roger thought about it for a few moments and he replied in a voice that sounds to me like he was doing a Barry White imitation, a beautiful, deep voice. He said, maybe if you go way, way back. <laughs> and from that moment onwards, where I saw Roger Harper in the world, because uh, he did continue to play, and he also coached Kenya, he would always greet me with a high five and say, g'day, cuz. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I managed to break the ice in a nice way, and uh, we had a, always had a good relationship. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that was a positive uh, memory uh, from that second ODI way back in 95. Other favourite memories then? Favourite pl- Any favourite players? Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Uh, favourite players? Gee, or, be- uh, or best players? What you thought? Yes, I, I, there weren't too many people that I didn't like. Uh, I mean, cricket's a game... Cricket's a game that sorts out the the wheat from the chaff. I mean, if you're going to play cricket, you've got to be prepared to hang around and field for a day and, you know, perhaps not get any runs or not have much of a bowl. So, you know, there's only a certain type of person can actually survive in cricket. So there's a lot of good people. But one that always impressed me was Irfan Patan, the left armour from India. Yeah, yeah. Irfan was a – he was a young bloke. Um, I do recall he took a hat-trick in the opening over of the only – 
India-Pakistan test I umpired yep. uh, in, pa- in Pakistan. Um, yes, uh, Pakistan was three for naught when I walked in from square leg. <laughs> and they were six for 39 at drinks. And uh, they ended up winning the test by about 325 runs. It was quite a bizarre test, um, but it's a, a great memory. But young Irfan was playing one day, and he was fielding at square leg near me, and he said, uh, Harper, and they usually use your last name, Harper, do you have a family? And I said, yes, mate, I've got a son and a daughter, and they're probably both about your age. How old are you? And he said, uh, I'm 18. I said, so is my daughter. Oh, I said, are you single? He said, yes. Is your daughter single? Yes. So we thought about it, and the game went on. And, uh, and a year later, I might have seen him in uh, Zimbabwe or South Africa or England, and the conversation just continued for five years. Um, is your daughter still single? Yes. Are you still single? Yes. And I eventually introduced them to each other in India when my daughter was backpacking around. We were, I think we were in uh, Ahmedabad for a test match, and uh, she came in and uh, she, they were introduced to each other, and I think they were both highly embarrassed because this had been going on for years. And then later on, later on, I read that he'd married this beautiful Bollywood princess. And the next time I saw him, I told him how disappointed I was because he had been my retirement plan and uh, <laughs> that had gone gone up in smoke. But no, lovely, lovely lad. But uh, I, I remember the conversations I had with people and the warmth and the friendship you have on the cricket field, uh, uh, probably a lot clearer than I do the individual performances. Uh, I mean, I, I, I was there when a lot of things happened. I, I was lucky enough to... Well, I, I was unlucky enough to be in India when there was a horrible terrorist attack on Mumbai. Yeah, yeah. And we were playing a game of cricket in over on the far east coast in a place called Cuttack. And England had lost the first four ODIs to, to India. And this was the fifth of seven. And as the batsmen came out uh, to take up their, their position at the fall of each wicket, there'd be a new story. Someone would say, well, someone's, you know, the, the, the terrorists have attacked uh, the, the Towers Hotel, which we'd been occupying a week or two earlier. And then they'd attack the railway station. And, and as the night wore on, the story got worse. And by the morning, we discovered that 164 people had been been killed by these terrorists. And uh, uh, the, uh, the English boys decided they would head home. They wouldn't play the last two ODIs or the two tests. So they took off. I came back to Adelaide. And I'd only been here for about... Uh, uh, 24 hours, and I got a call to say that the two test matches were going to be played in different venues. They they were going to play the first test down in, in Chennai, down in the south, well away from Mumbai, and then the the other one was going to be up in Mahali. And would I like to come back for them? Well, I hadn't even emptied my suitcase, so I obviously loved doing the job I did, so I said yes. I went to Chennai, and there was a very emotional game with masses and masses of soldiers and and police at the ground, more military than, than spectators. And India India won that test on the fifth afternoon when Tendulkar brought up his 41st test century with a little clip down to the, the leg side boundary, fine leg boundary. And uh, India had won the game. And it was a nice fillip for the nation after, you know, the brutality of yeah. 164 people dying. So, yeah, I, I've got lots and lots of wonderful cricket memories. And... Um, I, I just look back and realise how fortunate I was to uh, to take up that job and, and lucky enough to do it reasonably well. So if you had to rank bats, batsmen, uh, Lara, Tendulkar or uh, an Australian of your choice, 
Oh, I think I'd always have to put Sachin first. He was he was very very special, and as part of the specialty of Sachin was he was just such a lovely, quiet, humble guy. Um, when I gave him out in controversial circumstances in that Adelaide test, um, he was actually the captain, and I know for a fact that uh, that decision didn't rate a mention on the umpires' report. So he, he had to fill in a, a report on the yeah. two umpires. And that one wasn't even worthy in his mind of, of commenting upon. So um, it was a very fair guy. You know, in, in years after the times after that, we would have discussed that a number of times. And it was always very amicable. He was a very easy bloke to talk with. I do recall on the morning in Cuttack, with all that brutality and death over in Mumbai, which was his home city, I do remember him coming over to me at the breakfast table to find out you know how I was handling the situation. He was, he was cool and calm enough to care for someone that was a visitor in his country when all that brutality was happening in his own city, and he must have had family and friends that yeah. he needed to be checking upon. So I thought, you know, that that speaks volumes for the quality of the guy. Daryl, one other thing, a little bit from left field. You were an ambassador for Arana, an Adelaide company providing employment for people with disabilities, and knowing you. Harps, that's something you would have loved to be involved with. Uh, I did. I did. I only did that for a short time. I think I might have been one of their first ambassadors. And uh, it was fascinating to go and visit um, some of the workshops and uh, some of the sites where they had people employed. Um, the spirit of those people was was just fantastic. I did one tour uh, of a number of facilities with John Swan, um, Jimmy Barnes' brother. Yep. And and he, he took his guitar with him. And he fired away and played his guitar. And the workers at each of the venues that we stopped at, um, they were having a break and they they came in for a bit of an impromptu concert. And uh, uh, honestly, that those rooms were really buzzing with excitement and appreciation. And uh, yeah, I, I did. I, I really, I thoroughly enjoyed being an ambassador for Arana. That was a uh, that was a lovely, lovely gesture that they made to to invite me to be that. Um, there is one ambas- ambassadorship that I'm still very proud of, uh, Malcolm, and I probably uh, don't need to tell you that yes. it's one with a certain football club, the mighty Adelaide Crows. Yes, with the Crows, but I, I think I'd prefer the red and blue involvement. You know, yes, in- well, I'm a, I, I'm a staunch member there. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm just as passionate, if not more, about the, the red legs. Um, the red legs don't play overseas very often, and I did notice that the Crows <laughs> were going to play in Dubai in 2008. And I looked on the cricket calendar and discovered that the West Indies were touring South Africa. Uh, and South Africa is not all that far from, well, it's on the same continent, the same line as Dubai. Um, it's only a, an eight and a half hour flight difference. But I worked out that if I could umpire that series, I could get into Dubai on my way home to see the footy. Uh, Crows versus Collingwood, 2008, about the 4th of February. So I put in a request to my manager asking if I could do the one-day series in South Africa. And he very quickly reminded me that we were appointed independently. We couldn't request games. It was a matter of waiting to see what we were appointed to. But he inquired, why would I want to go to Dubai? Uh, Why would I want to go to South Africa? I said, because that'll get me into Dubai to watch the Crows play Collingwood. Uh, He he is a Kiwi. Um, He doesn't work at the ICC anymore. But Doug immediately said, well, that's a good enough reason for me. You can do the series. So Maureen, had, Maureen accompanied me. We did the five one-dayers around the five big centres in South Africa over a two, two-and-a-half-week period. 
and all the time our focus was on the flight took, that took us from Joburg back up to uh, Dubai. We rocked up on the first day we arrived in Dubai, went out and found the Crows were training at the police academy and uh, went out and, uh, yeah, we, we were just, we've always been passionate Crows supporters yeah. and, and we still are. And I was lucky enough to be made an ambassador. Well, hopefully they have a pretty good year this year for you, mate. They're uh, tracking oh. on the right direction. Well, we could always talk about the, the Red Legs grand final win from last year for another hour or so, Harps. So well, be, yes, that'd I, be easy. Uh, I've got my ticket to go and watch Portis. I hope you're doing the yes, same. Yes, uh, I good. have. I'll yes. see you there. Yes, you will. <laughs> Look, Daryl, greatly appreciated. Uh, fantastic reminiscing memories. Look, I, I admit I probably... You know, you, you do still hold roles with match refereeing and, and all that, and I've deliberately left out the current situation in here because I personally, so I'm not speaking on behalf of you, thought what happened with their preparation of the first pit, test pitch was unforgivable and disgraceful, and I thought I really better not get you to comment on that for uh, your own good. So that was quite deliberate, Harps. Oh, so, thanks for that. Yes. I am still employed by Cricket yeah, Australia, exactly. so I do exactly. have to be cautious, but... Yes. Uh, yeah, perhaps uh, perhaps I'll include that in, in my publication when yes, I get it out, yes, we'll, uh, we'll following in your footsteps that. with your book. Thanks, Harps, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Daryl. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I certainly uh, learned a few things there, and um, and it was fantastic to hear some of your stories. Oh, thanks a lot. I always enjoy sharing them. It's uh, uh, You know, I look back and I, I still shake my, my head and wonder how lucky I was to be just in the right place at the right time and find something that I enjoyed doing, um, you know, just... Uh, just comes from having a passion for, for sport and especially for cricket. And uh, little did I know when I um, umpired my first game, it would have been the Shell Shield in around about 1968 when I was at Teachers College. Uh, I certainly didn't realise or didn't even envisage that I'd go on to, to umpire 95 test matches. So, yeah, uh, in the right place at the right time and loved what I did and still enjoy what I'm doing. These days I, I select umpires for the BBL and the Sheffield Shield and the, the Marsh One Day Cup. So that's my involvement. I don't uh, referee anymore, but I do. Uh, I, I am actively involved yeah, in, in yeah, encouraging yeah. the umpires. Yeah. Well, mate, you've been a great ambassador for not only South Australia but uh, cricket umpires all over the world, I'm sure. Thanks, mate. Good on you. Thank Cheers. you. Thanks, thanks, thanks boys. Appreciate it. We've just been speaking with Daryl Harper about not only his career that started here at local level in playing cricket and also umpiring cricket, but making it on the world stage. He certainly got around, Harps. Um, he, he did expand on that in terms of umpiring at 50 different test venues. was pretty incredible that, achievement. Well, that's a great stat, isn't it? Oh, amazing. And and some of the best players, obviously, that he umpired. Um, Sachin Tendulkar was probably top of his list and... Yeah. and you can see why when uh, when all of that was happening and his first thought was coming over and making sure that everything was all right with Daryl. Yeah, that was great, actually. It was good. You know, Harps gave us a fair you know, uh, insight into a few different things and it was, yeah, great to hear what he you know, said about Indian people and, yeah, it was educational as well. And his favourite yeah. venue was a surprise. Oh, yeah. Surprise, uh, obviously, loved uh, the Adelaide Oval, but he didn't get too many um, opportunities to do that at test level. But, um, yeah, goal there... Um, what a venue. Yeah, and it was, you know, he brought up, you know, before and after the Dasami and, yeah, yeah and, and certain aspects of that was, yeah, very interesting. We thank Daryl for his time and uh, what a, a great and insightful interview that we had with him tonight. We certainly learned it was 95, not 94 test matches we, too. We uh, need to correct that on yes. Wikipedia, I reckon. Yes. All right. Liking this podcast? 
Please like, rate, and subscribe. Happy days. To kick off happy days today, we've got happy birthday to one of the goats of all time. We've talked about him on a few different occasions on all of our episodes, but Michael Jordan. Yeah, well, for me, he's he's my all-time basketballer hero. Yeah, just an absolute freak. Five uh, NBA MVP, six NBA championships. Born in Brooklyn, New York. No, one of the greats. I wish, uh, I'm sure one of the New York teams would have loved to have had yes. him on their side, but yes. the Chicago Bulls drafted him, and um, look how that went. And I see um, advertised at the moment there, uh, Nike are doing a movie all about uh, the Magic Man, Michael Jordan, and and the Air Jordans, and how they went from strength to strength based on uh, on him. That says it all, really. It really does. All right, mate. We move on. Uh, Test cricket, um, nineteen seventy six. Richard Hadley takes seven for twenty three against India in his first match winning spell. Yeah, because he started his Test career. It took him a while, really, and sort of a me- fast medium bowler, and actually opened the bowling with his brother Dale as well to start with, and. And you and Chatfield and it's all oh these little medium dibbly mm-hmm. dobblers and yep. yeah but then all of a sudden it got a bit quicker and yeah he certainly announced that he was pretty special absolutely and and obviously a a name that's synonymous with cricket Richard Hadley and taking seven for twenty three I mean that's almost Scotty Bowling figures really uh, interesting guy too he um didn't exactly like sharing man of the match or man of the series or cars or anything yes. Interesting cat, Richard. Fantastic. All right, mate, we move on. Uh, changing pace a little bit. Motorsport. We're going to talk about the Daytona 500. Uh, Richard Petty. And now I'm sure there'd be plenty of people who have heard of Richard Petty as far as motorsport goes, especially in America with the um, yes. the cars. The first driver to win back-to-back titles at Daytona. That's it's a magical effort. Yeah, it is. It is an incredible achievement. Um, Obviously, yeah. we have the touring cars here. Yeah. They have the 24-hour race. Uh, yep. Endurance races, the Adelaide 500, uh, Bathurst is 500 as well, and it's probably equivalent to what Daytona does as far as their uh, their racing cars go. And uh, to win it back-to-back, I think, is a pretty special achievement. Uh, he was around there as well. And, mate, we finish off with basketball. We started with basketball. We ended with basketball. Um, the 57th NBR, NBA All-Star Game was held at the New Orleans Arena. Um, East beats West. 134 to 128, and our man, LeBron, LeBron James, MVP. Yeah, they're certainly never de- two defensive games, though. So it's, uh... <laughs> no, uh, any of those all-star games, it's uh, score and score and score. And, and the NBA has almost turned into that a little bit now, where mm. the, the defensive side of it has been taken out, taken out of the game and teams are encouraged to um, attack. Yeah, the defence is the thing outside the, outside the arena. It's uh, not actually happening on it. In those games. Tonight, we're going to finish off with a new segment. Yeah, why not have a bit of fun with this, mate? Flashbacks. Flashbacks. Well, we started off with uh, cricket as part of our topic. We've spoken with Daryl Harper and we thought it was only fitting that our first flashback segment was the 95-96 Sheffield Shield title to the Redbacks. 
And uh, I'm sure, that, as we said, I think I have mentioned this one other time, uh, I'm sure the expedience has inspired. I may have jogged on a hot day like today down to the doctors and uh, made sure I had a jumper on and went in there and uh, the doctor gave me the week off. So oh, I was six there every ball. Away yes, you go. yes I, was, I didn't miss a ball at the Shield final. Uh, mate, one of the most memorable draws in domestic cricket history when South Australia claimed the Sheffield Shield against Western Australia um, in front of an estimated 15,000 spectators at the Adelaide, before the revamped and redeveloped Adelaide Oval. Yeah, the crowd just kept growing and growing and then the um, the hill started the count back. It was about 40-odd about balls where it started down from uh, with the balls to go. Of course, uh, Peter McIntyre and Shane George, so... Macca had chosen or uh, to face uh, Brendan Julian, mm-hmm. and uh, Shane was facing Brad Hogg mainly. So yeah, and then uh, the last last over, and that took about about twelve minutes. The last over to bowl, yep. and yeah, Macca blocked the last ball out, and uh, I think I got home three days later. Mate, we'll go back. We'll have a little bit of a look at the scorecard uh, yes. in the first innings. Um, Western Australia go into bat first, um, set a target of 590. Yeah, and that was back to when Adelaide Oval had the temporary stand for the um, rugby uh, and that. And um, a few of the uni boys, Andrew Lamb, a couple of boys, when uh, when Macca, Peter McIntyre was getting belted by Adam, Adam Gilchrist, started walking backwards up the stairs. And uh, Macca didn't really appreciate that at the time, the noise and that, but mm-hmm. he does laugh about it now. Uh, speaking of that man, Adam Gilchrist, uh, top scorer in the first innings of 189 runs. Yeah, he was just brilliant. That was where those of us who watched Shield Cricket knew that, hey, there's this guy, he's it's pretty, pretty special. good. Yeah. But that was the game where he announced himself to everyone. So going through the batting lineup, we've got uh, Lavender opening with Hussey, yep. Justin Langer. Yes, and I reckon Bluey took the first wicket. I do remember that. Yeah, LBW for Hussey for 11. Uh, Moody, Martin, Gilchrist, Angel, Hogg, Julian. That's a pretty... Yeah, they're a good side. Pretty handy side. Uh, We talked about Gilchrist top scoring with 189. Um, Rob Baker chipping in with 83 of his own. Moody with 68. Brad Hogg, 61 runs uh, down the order a little bit. Yeah, they batted pretty deep, and we certainly it was pretty flat deck, and yeah, it was it was certainly a grind while they were batting. Absolutely, uh, Jason Gillespie uh, bowling thirty overs, ten maidens, uh, three for ninety six. Yeah, does he kept at it? Uh, was you know, pretty consistent. Probably felt the uh, along with everyone else felt the wrath of uh, Gilly there at one stage, but yeah, did. Uh, Certainly Shane, Shane George, uh, 30 overs, uh, four maidens, two for 102. Um, I think he would have been on the end of uh, Gilchrist's uh, century. Yeah, Baker a bit. wasn't a bad player as well, actually. Yep. Greg Blewett bowling 15 overs, four maidens, one for 53. That's not too bad. Timmy May, uh, 47 overs, nine maidens, two for 157. Yeah, just flat deck. We just had it and had it. Darren Lehman, one over. No maidens, three runs. And Peter McIntyre would be there as well. Yeah, 23 overs, no maidens, hundred none for 105 as yep. well. So, yes, uh, what a start by WA to um, to the first innings. Yeah, well, it certainly made it 
really from there that, hey, come on, boys, bat and bat and try and get the draw. Absolutely. Um, so South Australia's first innings all out for 347 runs. Top scorer, Paul Nobes, 103. Yeah, Nobes and Brayshaw, James Brayshaw made, made 80 odd as well. Yep. Um, yeah, we probably, yeah, Buff got in, but got got out and, you know, was in. And normally then when Darren was in, he kept going, but got out for 47. Yep. And, yeah, we fell away a bit as well. Yeah, the, the tail end didn't wag too much. Uh, May out for five, Gillespie out for ten. McIntyre out for zero and uh, Shane George was left at the crease stranded, unfortunately, and they were the heroes in the end when it comes to the second innings. But, um, yeah, very interesting that uh, 500 uh, scored for – 520 scored for WA in the first innings and uh, 347 for the Redbacks in the first innings as well. That's a a pile of runs. And what probably gets forgotten a little bit is WA changed their batting order – and Gilchrist went up to open, and uh, we got a couple of runouts. Buff, Buff got a run out. I reckon Bluey got a run out. Of, I reckon on memory Gilchrist. in the second innings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, you're right. Uh, Gilchrist did come up the order, but he uh, got run out for zero. Yeah. Uh, Lehman, Lehman got him out. Yeah. Um, so yes, uh, the, the second innings didn't start very well with uh, Lavender out for six, Martin out for two, Langer out for twenty-eight. Is there another run out there? Uh, yes, there is. Yep. Damien Martin run out by Blue. Yes, yes, yeah. he was run out by Blue. You're yeah. correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it didn't get off to a good start, and obviously eight for one sixty-nine. Um, obviously, South Australia finished top of the table, so they were looking for a draw. Yeah, those runouts at least made WA bat for longer than what they were intending to. Yep. So it did help us a bit. We did lose a couple of wickets before Stumps. Um, I reckon Nobsy, Nobes and Darren Weber were uh, Potsy was out, out. I reckon we were two for overnight. And Dizzy had come in as a night watchman. Yes, uh, he did come in. Uh, didn't hang around for very oh. long. But uh, Louis, uh, 72, vital. Yeah, and if... Um, if we were playing with nine stumps, he was plum. Yep. It was he got an absolute Barry Crocker. It, uh, it might have hit the might have hit the sixth or seventh stump. I actually I actually think that something came up in the BBL oh. coverage this year about that. And I do remember and they did show footage and oh. I think that even even Brian Lara, who was commentating, shook his head going, uh, no, I don't think so, Bluey. That was oh. not out. Very interesting. But James Brayshaw, very handy sixty six. Yeah, after that, Bluey actually left Adelaide Oval and went for a drive. I did hear that. Yes, I did hear that in a little bit of my research yes. that he just couldn't couldn't hang couldn't around, watch couldn't watch it. And then we get down to the uh, lower order where, um, for a good seventy or eighty, no, fifty nine balls, um, McIntyre for a fair while, but Jamie Siddons batted for a long time for four. He, he'd got injured and batted down the order, and I, I reckon he batted for nearly two hours. For he four. did uh, one hundred and thirty four balls yeah. uh, for four runs, um, <laughs> only one four, which was his score. Yes, um, that's amazing. Uh, definitely a captain's knock, and one that needs to be pointed out as as a great captain's knock. Maisie batted for a fair while as well. Yeah, fifty two balls for no yeah. runs. Yeah. Um, 64 minutes at the crease. Um, Siddons was at the crease for 166 minutes. Um, just amazing that it's uh, stood the test of time that these guys 
dug in when they needed to dig in. Oh, look, and Macca, Macca and Georgie both weren't known as uh, great wielders of the willow, and, yeah, they both just fought, uh, yeah, and, yeah, it was it was an incredible, it was a privilege to be there. Absolutely. I wish I had been there on, at the time, but I obviously have been watching some of the YouTube footage that um, that has been coming up, and we'll add that as part of our, uh, our footage as well tonight, or our sound audio as well. But and the illustrious Timothy Bryan Alexander May was very encouraging people to go to the planet that night. Remarkably, it was one of the part owners, yeah. <laughs> Jamie Siddons, I reckon, would have taken a cut oh. from that as well. So, But uh, McIntyre and George to survive those last couple of balls, and, and Brendan Julian sort of lost his head a little bit in that last over where he was not quite bowling where he needed to be. And obviously his captain came up and sort of tried to straighten him up. Yeah, but by then it was to too late. Down. Yeah, I, look, there had been a couple of appeals. Probably Georgie might have been a bit lucky on a bat pad one. But, uh, yeah, look, we deserved, deserved a bit of luck. And, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. We've talked about it previously that uh, if South Australian win, mate, I'll have to put out an APB uh, with the cops as a missing person. Probably yes. your missus will as well. Yes. Do we non-drinking days? Non-drinking now, days. Yes. yes. Uh, yes do we see South Australia doing this again any time in the next couple of years? Oh, look, you can only hope. I don't think we've got that depth and that strength, but you can only hope. We're back in it at the moment. I'm sure that my iPad will get a fair uh, workout checking the scores over the, uh, next week. And uh, look, last night, unfortunately, was a reality check back, brought back to reality yet again. Um, but look, hopefully, hopefully, let's see how we go. Uh, I agree. And, mate, I've actually enjoyed doing a bit of research on flashbacks. And we're going to do a couple of more of these over the um, episodes with uh, obviously some footy and some different sports. But I thought, mate, we'd uh, do a cricket episode tonight and... The 95-96 Redbacks winning Shield season is one to be celebrated. I think we might might uh, get Peter McIntyre on in, in some stage over the next few weeks. Absolutely. That would be fantastic to get his point of view, obviously, on uh, batting those last 59 balls uh, and standing there and, and oh, hoping that... I'm very confident that McIntyre could commentate every ball. Don't worry about that. Oh, maybe we'll put it on the screen yeah. and let him do his thing. <laughs> All right, we'll leave that for tonight. That's been another really big episode. We've had Daryl Harper on. Uh, We've obviously talked about the international cricket, the local cricket. Port's best 22, so we'll see how that pans out after the trial game. And we wish Port Adelaide the best of luck, not only for the season, but their trial game, and hopefully not too many injuries come out of it. And as we said next week, we'll, we'll do the Crows best 22 and see how that goes as well. We certainly will. As per usual, we promise to do better next time and that we will. Thanks, mate. Thank you. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at SportsCast SA. We'll see you next time on Game On.